You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 230, 18 Visions, hosted by Dan Terry. It really is just like all these guys are wearing like eyeliner. That's weird. I don't really like it. John Beatty. Glad I hit record and noticed that it's not. Me too, John. (laughs) And Joseph Wren. It's almost like the entire pop music industry figured that out decades ago. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you think 18 Visions means this was some seriously good peyote, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. That is John. He's in the house without actually being in the house. Nobody's allowed in the house. Not quite yet. Well, a couple weeks ago, I was closer to John than I than I have been in a while. Uh, I did drive three hours away to Peoria, Illinois to hang out with Brian Gray of The Blamed. And uh, all I got was this lousy T-shirt. Uh, but uh, I could I, I did think for a minute, I was like, it's now only like four hours away from Grand Rapids. I could just drive up there and crash. But uh, John travels so much, I, I could have just showed up at an empty house, which wouldn't have stopped me from going in there and crashing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I did think about it. And then I, I was like, now I'm just going to drive home in the rain, uh, which is exactly what I did. That's not what you guys are here to hear. You're here to hear us talk about 18 Visions. What an interesting week. What an interesting discography. I have to quote Dan from five years ago. This band really wanted to innovate in a style that didn't need innovation. And yet it was very entertaining with some minor, can we say, 80s metal tendencies early on in the discography? Not early in. I wouldn't say early, but yeah, I would say that like, it's not that they were trying to be innovative in a genre that didn't need innovation, but I mean, in 2006, where I think they deviated the most, you know, kind of from what they were doing before, I do think that it's a, it's a, it's a genre that needed to be innovative, but nobody really wanted to be innovative in it. That's why, like, between 2005 and 2010, a lot of the metalcore bands that came out really weren't that good, or they, they weren't different enough from bands that had put out records in 2003 or 2004. Whereas you got 18 Visions over here, you know, they, they start off as, you know, one of the heavier bands in the genre. Um, just some really, really gut-wrenching, brutal stuff. Uh, and then they start adding choruses to their to their songs. And they're doing they're doing choruses in metalcore really before anybody else is really doing them. And they're adding kind of more of a hard rock, uh, more accessible sensibility into their songwriting. And so what you end up getting with 18 Visions is a band that was trying to push a genre forward when said genre wasn't quite ready for that yet. Your parents are going to love it, though. Absolutely. (laughs) I know I spent a lot of time looking at this band thinking there's another trying to be glam rock looking with popular metalcore sounding hooks. I definitely didn't give the band enough back in the day or enough of a try back in the day to have a good opinion. I think hindsight, though, is 2021, and they're one of the more entertaining bands to listen to because they're not as tropey as others that we would call their peers. Yeah, I mean, they're not tropey, and I think that I think what's hard about listening to 18 Visions now is if you weren't paying attention to the context of when these records came out or what the scene was at the time, if you hear an 18 Vision song on a shuffle of metalcore songs, you're going to think, okay, well, this is just par for the course. Uh, but what you're not realizing is that it was they were doing this stuff at a time where other bands really weren't doing it. Other bands were just trying to be as heavy as they could be, or they were all sitting down trying to perfect an exact copy of an At The Gates riff that would be copyright safe. 
And um, 18 Visions doesn't have any of that, man. They're they're one of the purest examples of American metalcore uh, that I've heard, um, except maybe like Unearth, you know. Um, but then actually, some of their earlier stuff kind of reminds me a little bit of Unearth before Unearth went all Gothenburg death metal on us. Well, before Dan tells us if it's safe or not, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Hey, we do enjoy our five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. And uh, I've got three of them. That's right, three of them to read for you guys tonight. Uh, These were actually pulled from Podcast Addict, which was a... uh, podcast service that i wasn't checking which is a my bad uh and uh joe was happy <laughs> joe was kind enough to send me these and say yeah man this is amazing um you should you know uh you need to check other apps out because it's not just uh itunes so um we got one from jeremy five stars he says love the episode about mailing and have been going back and listening to older episodes so uh we will uh we'll probably look be looking forward to hearing back from jeremy about what he thought of the other episodes uh, the next one is from Mud Pucket. He says, uh, "It's a really pod- good name. It is good. Uh, great podcast discussing awesome bands. I love these guys. Uh, they're fun to listen to and not that much cussing. Wait, really? Okay. Uh, which is sweet <laughs> since I listen to it at work with customers around. Oh God, please don't do that. Oh uh, if shit! You're, <laughs> if you're listening to if you're listening to the to this podcast, please do not." Oh God! Please don't do that. Uh, it's not. Yeah. Whatever you do, do don't listen to the early Pantera episode. That's the one where we really lost it. <laughs> we did very much lose it. Uh, we got a third one from the boy abides, and uh, he says three drunk assholes rating uh, ranting, mostly metal bands by the ranting. I'm sorry. I'm reading this totally. I'm misrepresenting him. I'm trying to change your spelling. Like, errors. But you're drinking. Is that the problem? Yeah, it could be that. Back well, in we're the day, get- maybe. Who knows? We're going to get to that. He says three drunk assholes rating mostly metal bands by their discographies. Well, one consistently drunk asshole and some other dudes who aren't as opinionated. (laughs) Um, So I'm just going to say that he's talking about Joe and move on. Um, But, you know, we we, we all know. I don't think I've been drunk on an episode in a very long time. It's been a long time. I don't really remember when the bar was shut down for a while, but. You know, the door's cracked now. John's sitting at the front, taking IDs, making sure that everybody has all their paperwork in order to be inside the establishment. Wow, you, I didn't know that John checked paperwork. That's that's new information. Well, I mean, some people have the IDs that they just turned 21 and they got the little printout from uh, Secretary of State. Well, that's perfect. I'm 12. It's just written on a piece of paper. Or yep. I think now that I'm vaccinated, uh, written on a little piece of paper. Legally, I can't ask you anyway, so it doesn't matter. Truth. Yeah, nobody's nobody's asked. Uh, but, you know, you know what you guys did ask for? You asked for 18 Visions, and we're here to give it to you guys. So, Dan, tell me about 18 Visions. 18 Visions is a metalcore band from Orange County, California. Uh, they have been around for a minute. Uh, they've been around since 1995. And their their biggest run was between like 1995 and 2007. Uh, so they had uh, they had a, a good 12 year run there. 
Uh, and in that time, they were able to cover a lot of different ground. And uh, they, they definitely started as a band that, honestly, I wouldn't have, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't have pinned them as being a band that, like, uh, I don't know. They, they weren't a band that I felt was particularly interesting whenever I was younger. And this is one of those weird things where, like, normally I'm going to tell you when a band starts off with metalcore roots like this that they are like, oh, yeah, this old stuff, this is the best. This is this is what they should have always been doing. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I'm not going to do that to you guys. Um, I think largely the early 18 Visions material sounds very par for the course. Uh, mid-90s to late, or mid-90s to early 2000s metalcore, uh, which is extremely heavy, gut-wrenching, bone-crushing uh, type of stuff. Uh, and I love that kind of stuff, but I listened to so many bands that probably did it a little bit better than 18 Visions back then. 1999. Yesterday is time killed. Dude, I killed some fairies and bunnies, and you know I killed love. Oh, incoming <laughs> Who's ready to get killed? Uh, this record is super brutal. It's in your face metalcore. Think like, uh, think kind of like early cave in, but like less indie, I guess, if there's a way to say that. It's more metal focused. These guys listen to metal. They tried to be as heavy uh, as they possibly could be. Uh, there's a lot of that 15 second riff going on, which anybody that's listened to the show before uh, will know what I'm talking about, but I'll explain it for those who don't. 15 second riff is something that like metalcore bands kind of did back in the day where they didn't really write songs necessarily. They just strung uh, random 10 to 15 second parts together. Um, I think a good example of that would have been like the first two Every Time I Die albums. Uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of somewhat random songwriting and a lot of like random riffs, random chugs. Uh, these records are largely unmelodic or this record especially is largely unmelodic super super heavy with tortured vocals and um as a 1999 release i probably would have loved this back in the day as some of my favorite uh some of my favorite metalcore releases back then like zeo's blood and fire was a largely unmelodic album uh embodiments uh, embrace the eternal was a largely unmelodic album uh converge was very similar to this uh back in the day so 18 visions isn't doing anything wrong here uh but this is definitely not a record that i listened to back in the day and i don't have a lot of nostalgia for and uh, I think this is really this is really a good example of that type of metalcore, uh, but it's not my favorite by any stretch. Uh, I'm sorry if you're a diehard 18 Visions fan and you think this is like the best thing that they've ever done. But I would then encourage you to maybe clean your ears out, and listen to some of the other stuff that they did, which was much better. If this is where you jumped on, are you getting off the train quickly with this band, or can you throw this one on the pile with? It was 1999. You were either new metal or you were trying to be Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child. Well, Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child didn't come out until 2002, but um, I would say this record is not one that I would have gotten off the bandwagon. Like, if I'd have heard this back in the day, I would have loved it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think it's a bad record, but I don't think it's a good 18 Visions record uh, based on what they would kind of become. But that is something interesting about this band is they they really don't ever sound the same uh, from record to record. They're always trying to change the formula up, uh, either in a bid to get more popular, to get more listenable, or maybe because they just got tired of playing the same sort of stuff uh, over and over and over again. And this record is, is for the most part, just kind of one of those, like, it, I don't know, like, if you, if you look at the cover here, it's just... It's a classic. The cover explains pretty much everything that you've got going on musically here. 
you've got you know a, a, a gray scale cover uh with some black and like a nail in it that's what this record sounds like it is just very heavy it's very angry it has some of those pissed off anti-religion lyrics you've ever heard in your life um they they check all the boxes for like what a metalcore band should have been in 1999 i don't think this is as compelling as something like a converge or a cave-in or a dead guy or anything like that uh but i think that it's very promising and i think if i'd heard this in 1999 i would have said like you know these guys I, I don't know it was more of a novelty back then i guess you know like you, you'd mentioned new metal there was a lot of bands you'd hear back in 1999 that were just doing the new metal thing and so to hear something like this i would have thought was like really novel and really interesting uh whereas if you look at it from the scope of of 20 plus years of listening to this kind of music um it doesn't stand out all that much but uh i don't know if you guys uh john did you did you ever listen to this record so I never listened to this record when it first came out. I heard, I think five of these tracks ended up on the Best of 18 Visions compilation that came out uh, many years later. Um, and I'm actually, as I'm reading uh, about this, because I have never listened to this this album, um, I am kind of reading that basically tracks 11 through 18 are basically snippets of songs that were being worked on demos, basically. Um, so while I am familiar with some of these songs in the capacity of what they would be on the compilation. I don't have any recollection. Like I have no nostalgia with these. Like I remember when they came out, I was just like, Oh, this just sounds like maybe shit that like was kind of like compilations basically are greatest hits where it's like, Oh, here's a way for you to get the music that you weren't able to get before, uh, repackaged, relicensed, whatever. Um, so it was one of those where, when you started talking about this, it's like, oh, fuck, I don't know any of this record. And then I just started looking. I was like, oh, I know some of this. Um, the thing that I and I don't know if I really want to talk about it on this one or I mean, it's going to get talked about at some point. So I guess here is a really great example. Um, it's funny. Every band that both of you are mentioning are uh, other than uh, Norma Jean. Every band basically you've mentioned are all the East Coast bands. The significance of. 18 visions lies in the fact that they were from the West coast doing things that weren't happening yet out there. Like, yeah, like what would become kind of the fashion core kind of thing that they were pioneering at the time. A tree, wasn't quite doing it yet. You didn't have throwdown necessarily as a band or bleeding through, because if you know your history of 18 visions, Dave Peters from throwdown was in uh, 18 visions as was uh, Brandon Chappetti, the guy who is now the vocalist of 18 visions. But in this, you know, the thing that's interesting about early 18 Visions is they were one of the few bands that had two vocalists who were fucking phenomenal in James Hart and Brandon. So you got kind of a different, you know, the best of both worlds. And I think with Brandon being a, a main songwriter, as you would end up hearing him kind of being more on eight, uh, sorry, not 18 Visions, more on the bleeding through side, you can kind of really start seeing what, you know, Ken and Keith and some of the other guitar players and the musicians were bringing to 18 Visions versus what Brandon was bringing to 18 Visions. I think to Dan's point, some of that more, I don't want to say death metal, but like kind of the more Gothenburg and all that kind of stuff. You definitely saw that when Bleeding Through came out. And I think that's Brandon's contribution to the early 18 Visions versus everybody else's once he finally left. So it is interesting to go back and listen to these earlier songs and really kind of get a sense of west coast hardcore as it was or metalcore as it was basically in its infancy out there and a lot of the quote-unquote tropes that we would that we know now these guys were literally inventing 
what we were become what would become tropes. And it's one of those where I think that can't be understated enough. So this is one of the examples where the innovator of the style didn't get enough credit. Um, so what's interesting, and you know, I sometimes Dan and I kind of talk about how me doing the interviews I do on Brutally Speaking kind of helps inform me to be a, a better participant in this. So, you know, in talking to uh, like Travis McGill from uh, Trey recently and talking to, you know, James throughout, you know, when I interviewed him a few years ago and just being friendly with him, it's one of those where, you know, I had made the comments to Travis, what was it like to see your local scene become the national scene everyone suddenly was focused on and pulling from? But then what was it also like going to the East Coast where you had Dead Guy, you had your unearths, that whole New England, Massachusetts scene starting to, to be what it would become. And you're kind of then going, wow, OK, these guys are doing something kind of cool. Hadn't thought to do that. And now you're cross pollinating different coasts uh, with with the sound. And then it kind of grows from there to be what we now know Metalcore to be. I think the thing I think there was just kind of like where I feel like the East Coast was a lot more loose and having fun. I feel like the West Coast people were more they wanted to have fun, too. But I think they were pushing things in a completely different era. Like, you know, talking with James, like he was like, all of us worked at Abercrombie. So we got discounts on clothes. We look good. We wanted to, you know, get laid. So, like, you know, we look good, got the eyeliner and it was kind of the, the thing. He goes, but I remember we went to the East Coast and we got called fag and people wanted to beat us up simply by how we look, not by the music we played. We then go back the next time or the time after that, and then everyone starts looking like us. So it's one of those where you're like, yes, I do think this is largely a, a band. And like I said, with with other bands that became big in the scene also being a part of the foundation of this band, I really do think this is 18 Visions doesn't get a lot of the credit they deserve because a lot of people and we'll talk about it when we get to that record. Think of them solely for until the ink ran out or until the ink runs out and then basically uh, the self-titled record. I think those are the two records everyone thinks of, and either you like one or the other, or you hate one or the other. There's not much <laughs> middle ground with this band, I don't think, personally. Well, I'm definitely here to find it. I mean, and I think a lot of what you were talking about as far as the fashion and stuff, I think a lot of that was definitely more like in the uh, vanity era. Absolutely. You know, when they, when they started that, whereas like this stuff that we're talking about here is so like in my opinion, is just very by the book metalcore from 1999. Now it might, it might be um, notable that they were from the West Coast, but I think this is before they were really trying to push themselves. I think, I think this record really just shows that they're like we're a heavy band, and we want to do the heavy band thing. You know, um, we want to be evil and angry, and we want to upset our parents, and we want to do all this stuff. And uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't really. I don't know. It doesn't really work. Um, <laughs> I, it, it doesn't because I think that there were a lot of bands doing this already. And in 1999, I don't know. It. I'm trying to talk trash about a record that I think is basically good. Yeah. So I'm going to leave it at that because I think that I just don't think that this is perfect and it's really lo-fi and it doesn't have great production. And I'm a spoiled brat now when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, but I, I think, think it that, sets the bar for what's coming, though. And that's the thing that you can't discredit either, is it, it's kind of setting the bar for the next record, which is only a year later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. When, when, let's let's just get into it. 2000 until the ink runs out. So this is <laughs> this is in the same this is in the same uh, vein, I think, uh, as the previous record. Yesterday's time killed, but it has it has production. 
you know, it has a budget. And here, the songwriting is starting to change. This is where, you know, kind of like what John was talking about, about like different influences, East Coast versus West Coast and all that. Uh, this is where the, those more broad influences of other bands kind of doing similar things to what they were doing really starts coming into play. This is not as... Uh, this is not as precise and technical, I think, as uh, yesterday's Time Killed, but it sounds better, flows better. It has more chaotic moments. It has a lot more like speed up, slow down dynamics to it. Uh, this is still like absolutely beat you over the head, brutal metalcore. And it's one of my favorite records <laughs> of all time. I mean, it's it is completely uncompromising in every single respect. And it does bum me out to a certain degree that like there's not like this isn't what 18 visions is known for i mean i know in some circles it is people people are like oh they died after this <laughs> you know <laughs> or, or 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 whatever uh because that's just the way metal fans are i'm i'm like that too but uh i think in this case this was this was a good improvement because this record is just overall more interesting to listen to uh than yesterday's time killed i definitely found that one a slog i listened to that several times throughout the week trying to find more in it and i just couldn't and i just accepted that it's just kind of a, a time capsule of 1999 but i mean to come back in 2000 with until the ink runs out this record is leaps and bounds better uh than the previous record and i like the vocals i still i love how west coast hardcore the vocals are I can't even I can't even really put my finger on it, but they just absolutely attack in a way that a lot of it, it, a lot of screaming bands don't, where it just sounds like noise. Whereas these almost it's almost like there's like miniature little bass drops put into the vocals. The vocals almost are more of a percussive instrument uh, than anything else. But this is also where they started doing the thing that hardcore bands did back then, and they started throwing the spoken word vocal in there. They started kind of slowing it down, making it creepy. Uh, I described yesterday as time killed as kind of a, a unmelodic uh, affair through and through, which I'm not against by any means. Uh, but there was a little bit of melody thrown into some of these songs to create a feeling, to create a mood. And they just, they control the listener much better on this record than they did on the previous. If you take that sound and you manipulate the listener, I like the way you said it better, Dan, but you take that emotion that aggression that we engage and then we disengage and then we bring everybody back together that to me is the sound of old school hardcore and metalcore that's the sound i think of and to me this seems like a missed opportunity for me the listener because this is not the band i knew before this week i knew that they had played heavier music early in the discography but i really hadn't sat down now I'm listening to Until the Ink Runs Out, and it reminds me of all the namestay bands in this genre. So for me, it's another album on the pile, if that's what I'm here for. I have more opportunities to get that experience, but we're not getting 15-second riffs now. We're getting about 30-second riffs. And that, to me, <laughs> is the balance that this genre needed that depending on how fast the tempo was for that particular song, you either got it or you didn't. So who wants to throw down for 15 seconds and then stop? Nobody. I want that mosh pit to go for the entire song. And that was a challenge sometimes, but this record's better than the previous. 
That doesn't mean that the previous is bad. I think the band could have just kept doing this and absolutely no one would have complained. Well, you're not going to get out of that mosh pit without a bloody lip. I can guarantee you that. Only if Schwab's throwing the punches. <laughs> Another band from old Orange County, California. Um, yeah, this is just, this is, this is killer. This is, this is, they couldn't have come up with a better debut. And the label loved it so much that they made them go back and re-record a bunch of their old songs and put them out so that they could, so that they could, you know, that they, they could make money because that's what labels do. Where have I heard uh, this, that before? Yeah. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, I, we're not going to talk about that. It's a compilation called the best of 18 visions. It's not, uh, but it's cool. Uh, and it, it's, it's a good release. Uh, it's more hi-fi versions of some of those songs I was complaining about on yesterday's Time Killed not being very, not sounding very good. Uh, but yeah, Until the Ink Runs Out is killer. Uh, do you have any experience with this record, John? Uh, this was actually one of the first records I got from the band. Uh, so much so that I had a first pressing of it that was the on the pink uh, vinyl, uh, limited to 200, uh, which I had to sell one of my car took a shit on me, but someone paid me pretty well for it. Um, this is a... That's not the record we're talking about, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it is now, 2002, Vanity, My Favorite Sin. That <laughs> um, just threw me for a second. I was like, that's not the record. Um, but it's it's kind of funny. Like, um, you know, Dan had kind of mentioned, you know, bands like Converge and so forth. And I really think I'm like on this record, you know, the I don't want to say the evolution of the songwriting uh, for them, because I, I think it's it's always been there. I, think, I just think that's kind of the thing when we talk about heavy bands that gets interesting is like when we go, oh, the, the progression of them is musicians. And I, I think there's always little parts, but unfortunately, you don't notice them as much as when you listen to a discography like back to back to back to back to back in like one week or whatever prepping for these. You start noticing these little bread trump, breadcrumb trails that start getting permeated in the music. And to me, you know, like seeing some of like the, the quote unquote jazz influences like on who the fuck killed John Lennon or wine them, dine them, 69 them and elevator music and so forth. You get kind of into that, like convergy weird kind of like off time signature kind of shit going on and Dillinger escape plan and so forth. And, and it gets, it adds a little nuance to it. But what I love kind of on this record too, and, and you know, the main riff on wine them, dine them, like just that like syncopated single note riff that just is like got the fucking groove and the heaviness that like, I think we know the band for, but like, I, I just can't think of many bands around this time that were doing something like that. And to me, that's what has always endeared me to this record is just like they had little nuances and flavors that I don't like. Yeah, you can be like, here's a Dillinger part. Here's a this band part. Here's a this band part. But no one was putting it all together like 18 Visions was. And like I said, really on this record, having Brandon and having James uh, as your vocalists, like, I think it just really shines and really adds something that no other band had. I mean, Atreyu has it, excuse me, Atreyu has it, though, but it's more of like, here's the, the good cop, bad cop. This is like bad cop, worst cop. <laughs> and to me, that's a really interesting dynamic that no other band really had at this point. And when you go back and listen to it, um, it's, it's just phenomenal. And I mean, and the fact that if, if memory serves correct, this record was recorded in like four fucking days. Um, which I mean, a lot of the records back in these days were like were very quickly put together because no one had money. But when you think of being able to play some of these parts, <laughs> I'm just like, I, it'd probably take me four days to get through one song, <laughs> let alone having having it. And I feel like that's maybe something else that I don't know if it's necessarily the nostalgia behind it that makes me feel this way. But I feel like there's something in that hurry up because we don't have time to fucking overthink things. But there's a little bit of kind of a brilliance in that because 
when you have so much time, oh, we have a month to write and record a record. I think you might start overthinking things versus being like, nah, fuck it. I think that it feels good to me and it feels good in the moment. Boom, let's go. And to me, this is kind of the last of that era of, I would say, kind of spontaneous uh, writing and recording that kind of uh, started basically early metalcore. And I mean, again, the, the movie samples, which became a trope, fucking on point with this too. I mean, it carries basically throughout the band's discography, but I mean, the Shining reference uh, on... Uh, was it she, she's a movie produced masterpiece or was it actually the first song? I don't remember her champagne and sleeping pills. Sorry, that's it. That's where the shining reference is. Um, well, fuck. I mean, like just this is just everything that like I love about this era of 18 visions um, for it being raw, kind of unproduced and just kind of filthy. Um, sick riffs, sick, sick drumming. The snare tone gets a little uh, annoying at times. It sounds like it shouldn't be on a metalcore record like this, but get over it. No, it's, it goes on a West Coast hardcore record. <laughs> Fair uh, With some ska influences. 100%. Let's play some breakbeat ska right now. Hell yes. <laughs> Hell yes. So we got to talk about Vanity. That's that's actually really funny. I have no problem with Vanity, but it sounded like I was like sliding it somehow. That's kind of funny. Uh, (laughs) Vanity, we'll just leave it like that. You know, no edits. Uh, Vanity is probably my favorite 18 Visions record um, just because like, yeah, I know it's it's more in my nature to like the heavier stuff, uh, the like uh, when the ink runs out type of stuff. But to be honest, like this record is such a great transition between what they were doing to what they started doing later. And um, this is not like, I don't hear like the metal core, or at least in the traditional sense on this record. Uh, they are certainly heavy, but it's heavy in the way bands became heavy kind of later on, kind of like under oath or um, like fear before the March of flames, like bands like that. Um, this is less cave in Dillinger coalesce, you know, all that stuff. Um, th- this is where they really kind of start pushing more towards what I think people would have called at the time, like scene core or or like scene bands, where there's a lot of yelling vocals. You know, you gone are the traditionally like heavy hardcore screamed vocals. The, the, the most of the vocals of this record are screamed, but they're screamed uh, in a di- in a very different way in what would have been more acceptable, I think, for audiences at the time. But I, I say that, but it's 2002. This is still, this is two, still two years before Under Oath's They're Only Chasing Safety, which I think a lot of people would largely say is responsible for why this sort of music got way more popular. Uh, this doesn't have quite the melodic sensibility that that record does. It, it doesn't have the pop sensibility. But now they're writing songs. They're, they're, they're writing songs in kind of more of that hard rock sort of format. Uh, and they're just doing cool stuff. They're adding a lot more melody to their to their songs. And they're creating a they're creating kind of this like, I wouldn't say a soft loud, but like a little bit more of like a sing scream dynamic on this one. Which again might not sound like it's that important, but whenever you look at like you look at the fact that this is two thousand two, again, this is like this is pre under oath. This is pre uh, it's not pre kill switch engage, but they were doing something a little different too. Um, this was just the idea that like no longer is metalcore kind of something that just you're going to listen to and everybody's just going to put up with you. Like you might actually meet like uh, you you might get a girlfriend or boyfriend that's into this too. <laughs> you know, like you might, you, you know, th- this is something that you can show somebody and, and they can find value in it uh, beyond just the screams and the, the riffs and the heaviness. So I think that they, they focus a little bit less on metal here 
And this is where you start seeing kind of the fashion come into it too, where, you know, the band is is wearing really, really, really cool designer clothes and 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 has their hair all made up and they, they don't they're not quite like a, an eighties glam band, but it's not <laughs> it's not far off. Um, and I think at the time it was kind of ironic in a sense, at least that's the way that I viewed it. I don't think that the band necessarily views it this way, but um, I viewed it as like, look at us, we're this like heavy hardcore band, you know, but we're all like dressed like fashion to the nines. That wasn't very common back then. So, you know, to see that must've been jarring probably uh, for some metalheads that maybe were there to hear, you know, kind of the older material. It's like all those guys that listen to, uh, you know, when the ink runs out are going to be, or until the ink runs out are going to be like, what what is going on right now with this band? Like I came here to hear, see a hardcore show and all these dudes and their girlfriends are like up, you know, are, are all up in the front row and I can't even get in. I can't even get a decent pit out of here. And these guys are dressing themselves up like dolls, you know, like uh, <laughs> I definitely, I've seen it. And, and I think that, uh, I think what they did, they were doing was cool and it was different, innovative at the time. But like John said, it's like everybody made fun of them when they were doing it because no one else was doing it. And then you come back, you come back a year later, and suddenly everybody's like, "Oh yeah." So we just found out that like, you know, the female ge- demographic will actually listen to us if we like, you know, look good. <laughs> you know, it's almost like the wrong. entire pop music industry figured that out decades ago. Right. But I mean, this still isn't pop music. And I think that I think that's the fun part of this is you still have a super heavy record. And so like teenagers are going to go nuts for this because like it's super heavy. It's not their parents music. But then you've also got some like good eye candy to look at on stage. You know, you got these dudes up there dressed to the nines and they look great. They play great. Their songs are awesome. They're more like modern what you would identify with uh, as a teenager. So, I mean, it was a slam dunk. And I think I think I think I have a lot of fond memories from this record because it's one of the first times where when I'm listening to it, I don't feel like I need to like look hardcore or act hardcore or or, or be tough. You know, um, it's not tough guy music. And that that's kind of my favorite thing about heavy music is just that intensity. This the only thing that I'll say that this record probably they would have matched up the way they looked better is if there had been more clean singing on it and it had been a little bit more chorusy. But uh don't you worry at all. We will get we will get there. I do love the punk rock attitude that the music has had up until this point. This record came out in 2002. It still sounds low production, high output. So it sounds like the best budget home recordings that you've ever heard. We're not turning it into this giant radio sounding single yet and for a band that is effectively a hardcore band in many ways this is a good third try i think the band has perfected this sound it's not all hardcore at this point we are paying attention to songwriting and taking advantage of what we've learned along the way but now it's 2002 was this type of metalcore breaking or ready to break or did we still have new metal left over that we needed to finish up with i mean i'd say by 2004 new metal was pretty much in the ground i mean if anybody i don't think anybody would disagree with that minus like you know um small time hick towns and alternative rock radio stations that are still playing you the newest three days grace single but like i think that uh for the most part this this was the future but that's the weird part about this is like so we talked about like how 
Living Sacrifice kind of broke up around 2004 because this style of music just wasn't catching on, even though I think they would have been huge had they stuck it out, you know? Um, or like you even look at like Zayo with like the Funeral God and how they like became more popular because they added singing choruses, <laughs> you know, to their music. And uh, like, yes, ladies and gentlemen, there's once upon a time where Zayo was concerned with being accessible, you know? And it's, it's largely due to the groundwork that bands like 18 Visions laid out where they were going to make, I, I, I genuinely believe they started being more melodic and started being more accessible because that's just what they wanted to do. Or they found maybe some level of limited success uh, that was more than what they'd had before. But I would say in 2002, people still weren't really quite ready. You know, that that's when that's when Norma Jean's coming out with Bless the Marcus Child. This is when Azalea Dying's coming, you know, starting to starting to become a band that people are paying attention to. And um, but they're doing stuff that I didn't really hear any other metalcore bands doing until like 2004, 2005. You know, so they were doing it at a time where if you showed up at a show with 18 Visions on it, odds are the other bands were going to be hardcore bands and the audience just wasn't going to connect. And as you know, with meathead metal fans, uh, myself included, if you're doing anything weird or anything different, uh, we're going to be like, what? This band sucks. It has not <laughs> newsflash. It has nothing to do with the music. Uh, <laughs> it, it really is just like all oh, these guys are wearing like eyeliner. That's weird. I don't really like it. Um, makes me feel weird uh, in my nether regions, and I don't really want to question where I stand there. So uh, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna shit on it, you know. <laughs> and um, I think that's largely what 18 Visions kind of had to deal with. But I also appreciate their approach in kind of doubling down on that. Would have been really easy between 2002 and 2004 to just go back to the old sound. Gentlemen, are we ready for obsession? 2004. I think now is the time. I don't know. Obsession is interesting for me because it's an interesting transitional record uh, from their old days to their self-titled. And uh, I like this one. Um, I think, I mean, obviously they've got some great songs on here. Um, this is where they decided to go straight up full on choruses on their songs. And again, this is 2004. So like, it's not that unusual to hear, or it's not that usual to hear this much singing on a record. So like, and this is, this is what's hard. So like, if you're one of those hardcore fans that went and saw them play, uh, on the vanity tour or whatever, and you're like, man, these guys suck. They're all, they're all this or this or this or this. Now they actually sound like what you would think that a band that looks like them sounds like. Um, but I'm kind of here for it because like, it's kind of a controversial statement, but I don't think that 18 visions was ever amazing as a metalcore band. And I'm kind of more interested to see what they have in a songwriting chops, uh, sort of way. They've always surprised me before. So it's interesting to hear how they are able to command a chorus the way they're able to, uh, and really, really hold it. You know, we talked a while back about Evergreen Terrace, about how, like, they were a band that was so hardcore, like, they were hardcore to a fault, like, to a point where they were trying to be more mainstream, they were trying to be more accessible, but they just couldn't do it. They couldn't produce a good chorus. Whereas 18 Visions over here on Obsession producing a great chorus every single time. Don't forget the layered vocals constantly being melodic and hardcore at the same time not always doing the same thing they definitely did a lot and i think that like i think that this record it was is 100 essential i think it got overshadowed uh, by another band that we have mentioned a whole bunch of times at this point <laughs> but i do think that i do think if you look at like the difference between vanity and obsession i think this is where the record label starts to get a little bit more involved and they're like wait a minute 
Wait a minute. We we might be able to these guys these guys might actually be able to produce like a hit song and record sales could go through the roof. Like it's one thing to be it's one thing to be a hardcore label and put out hardcore bands and records and they do, you know, more or less. But like that that sort of success is more based with uh is more based on like how much the band has uh has toured, you know, what kind of credibility they have in the hardcore scene. Blah 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 blah, right? So Trust Kill over here is like Okay, we have a band that we might actually be able to market to radio. Uh, and I think that's where Obsession is interesting because I feel like they doubled down on that whole, like, yeah, we can actually write rock songs. And they're still 18 Visions, and they're still holding on to the past a little bit. So they're like, we're still going to have, we're going to still have breakdowns. We're still going to have heavy screamed vocals and stuff. But we're going to do a lot of singing. We're going to get everybody used to this idea of, I always think a record like this is kind of like, laying a ground laying the groundwork for the next record being very very um mainstream accessible uh but i think what's weird about this is as good as this is as 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 great of a record as this was as i would have thought it was in 2004 uh it didn't really catch on i think the way the label probably expected it to catch on and it didn't catch on i think that to what the band's expectations were because i think at this time they were putting them on tour with like more mainstream acts either that or i'm thinking of the next record to me, this one sounds the most interesting, knowing what mainstream hardcore and metalcore was in 2004. And yes, it has some of those tropes, but it's not as tropey. I'm not hearing 17 layers of guitars with 14 layers of vocals and a guy yelling the high note over every chorus. I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing what is effectively a rock band who very clearly used to be a hardcore band and wants to keep the music interesting, not fully buy into the we're just going to write rock songs now. We have to keep some of that heaviness that got us here because it's important to us. What do you think of Obsession, John? <clears throat> so I think the biggest thing that we all kind of have to keep in mind with this record this is the first one that Brandon didn't write on uh, guitar wise. Uh, this is solely the first record with uh, Keith Barney, the guitar player. Uh, and I know Ken, their drummer, also played uh, guitars on this record, too. So this is really the first the touring cycle for Vanity, which was basically a four piece. So Mick on bass, Keith on guitar, James vocals and then uh, Ken on drums. That's what they toured Vanity as because Brandon left to go start bleeding through. Um, so at this point, this is the first record where we're getting that band uh, that we would kind of have going forward. So I think when a lot of people are like, I, I kind of I don't really like this this era of the band moving like again, either like this part or this is where you hop off. Um, but I think it can't be understated enough that like, you know, those more Gothenburg kind of death metal, -y, symphonic metal and all that kind of shit clearly was Brandon's thing. Um, right. that's what he was bringing to the table. Whereas, um, and it's funny cause I read this, uh, about a week ago in an interview, uh, cause spoiler alert, um, the band 18 visions just dropped a cover of them bones, uh, by Alice in Chains. Yeah, they, and did. Fuck yeah, they and did. <laughs> and what's funny is this is the first record where I kind of go, I get a lot of Lane Staley and Mike Patton vibes from James's vocals. Like I get kind of that, like from out of nowhere, kind of angel dust, kind of style Mike patton vocals, but you can kind of hear kind of the, the layering and the harmonic layering like Lane Staley used to do with Jerry Cantrell on a lot of the old uh, Alice in Chains stuff. 
that was kind of off kilter, kind of created a weird counter melody to the music that was being played. And once they did that Alice in Chains cover and James especially was like the presence that Alice in Chains has had on us as a band has been there from the get go. And I go, ah, see, I was right. I was right that, you know, this is one of your influences. And this is the record where I think you can hear it the most. And again, it's it's a band that is pulling from all kinds of different grab bags of other things, because, you know, as Dan was kind of saying, like, you know, this is kind of more straight ahead rock, you know, da 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 like what was kind of getting bigger. And when we were talking about this earlier today, I think it can't be understated that, like, while the band, I think, visually brought something different to the hardcore scene, I think that influence can't help but be seen in early metalcore, but even going now into what was becoming Screamo, so bands like The Used, My Chemical Romance, some of those bands where they're kind of adopting a little bit of the hardcore sound and hardcore tropes, as well as some of the, the visuals that would kind of go with it, but then you're even seeing metalcore kind of going in different offshoots again. Now, at this point, you know, you fully have bands like Norma Jean, you fully have bands, uh, all those East Coast bands that we talked about, and Atreyu, I think at this point, the curse is out. So, you know, they're wearing the, the guy liner and the, the like reddish uh, whatever makeup that is. I don't know. Um, and everyone's kind of thinking theatrically, uh, like a lot of the glam bands that they were inspired by from the 80s were kind of doing this to me. Uh, it's surprising how solid this record is without completely abandoning the sound from the last couple of records. Because, I mean, you look at a song like Tower of Snakes, still a fucking ass beater of a song. Uh, but you have like the intro obsession, I Let Go. Those are focused more on, you know, kind of a not a more of a yell, kind of a dirty yell kind of thing versus a harsher vocal that we're used to from James. More melody, I guess, simply put. Um, like I said, this is a record I think is going to be the divisive starting point of, of I. this is the 18 Visions I fucking don't like. To me, it's the 18 Visions that always was. It's just the next logical step once you remove one of the main songwriters out of the band because there were pieces of this all along. Um, I like this record, um, but this is kind of, like I said, 2004, this is right in that sweet spot of, if you want brutal metal, there's plenty of that, especially on Trustkill, It Dies Today, you know, shit, Throwdown, like all those fucking bands. But then there's also, you know, you got the use my cam story of the year. You've got like everything that John Feldman's basically putting out. That's got and fallout boy, even where they have the hardcore tendencies in some of the more pop structured rock or whatever, or screamo um, to me, this is that gray area where it's not screamo. It's not quite metalcore. It's something right in between those. So to me, you know, as Dan likes to call gateway bands, I think this is a perfect gateway band if you're not into either of those genres necessarily, but there's still something there for it if you like both. Right, because the foundation is in hard rock. Right. And a little bit of 80s 80s metal, too. You know, that's where they get that metal tinge is it starts becoming like a lot less uh, converge and a lot more Thin Lizzy, you know, uh, in the sense of just like being guitar based. So the kid that doesn't listen to metal is going to hear that metal guitar and be like, oh, okay, this is a metal band. You know, because it's a kid that's not like, he hasn't been on metal forums for years and people will be like, that's not metal. Da, 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 da. They just hear, they just hear a nice guitar lead or they hear, you know, a good metal riff or something like that. And uh, and they're like, okay, this is a metal band. I'll check it out. And it's catchy and it's chorusy. And they're gonna have a really good time with it. And then they're gonna check out other bands if they like the heaviness. They might check out a heavier band. If they don't like the check, if they don't like you know heavier music, then they're gonna check out the next 18 Visions record. 
Is it time for the next 18 Visions record? I think so. I've, I've prattled on for a bit. Well, it's 2006. 18 Visions releases 18 Visions. I mean, this is the real vision, right? Like, uh, this record is, by all accounts, it's a record I'm supposed to hate. Like, as the host of discography discussion, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to hate this record and say it's the worst thing they've ever done. How could they have done this? It's in flames all over again. It's Parkway Drive all over again. Why would you have done this to me? Why do so many bands do this personally to me? But I, I like this one. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, yeah, it's poppy, man. It's it's poppy is 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 all get out. It is it is a very um, hook driven record. There's not very much screaming. I don't I don't know if there is even any screaming on it at all. Maybe a little bit, but um, that's not what we're here for. We're here for a nice, good metal guitar tone. It's like what I was talking about on the last record. They're playing metal riffs, but it's like steeped very heavily in like 80s metal. Uh, not like 80s. Like, like I'm not talking to like, oh, we're going to sit there and like be really thin and exodus it out here or anything like that. Um, it's modernized, but the riffs that they're playing remind me of like some of the hair bands that I would listen to. Um, they've got they've got anthemic choruses just absolutely out the ass every song starts with a cool interesting riff uh and then it goes into the chorus the hook i mean and if you guys don't understand what i'm talking about like i've I've said so many times on this podcast if you're gonna make pop music make pop music or make good pop music don't make pop music that sucks don't play a don't play a worse version of what you were playing before but I don't think 18 Visions is doing that. I think that they absolutely made good pop music this time around. It's not pop music in the traditional sense. I mean, it's still got heavy guitars. It's got great drumming. It's got great vocals, aggressive vocals. Uh, but it's just not screaming. It's not metalcore. And I can understand how that might be off-putting to people who... Uh, it might be off-putting to people that are just into metalcore and only into heavy music and don't like things to change very much. Uh, me. Uh, but I don't know. Like, If you really want to understand what I'm talking about, go listen to Burned Us Alive and then try to forget that song immediately after listening to it. Was go this ahead, record remastered for streaming services? I mean, there's all of them on uh, iTunes are all now lossless files, I just noticed. I'm only asking because this came out in 2006. This sounds like modern metal from three years ago. That extremely annoying, we're being artificially huge with our gin-sounding guitars, and we have reverb on our choruses now. But part of that is just how drastically different this album is from the previous. I'm with Dan, though. I don't hate it because what this could have been and what it was, two completely different things. What it is, a very classic-sounding metal record that entertained everyone in the room that wasn't listening to metalcore and 18 visions released this i don't want to be hanging out with the people that were upset when this came out this would have been so interesting to listen to at the time because what were we getting at that time every band was putting out their under oath album or they were putting out their favorite emo album either way i didn't want it so 18 visions comes out does the exact opposite more of this please when are we going to talk <laughs> about rad on this show uh tomorrow spoilers <laughs> so joe it's interesting actually that you you bring up the production on this uh i wasn't quite sure if i was right with my timeline but looking it up right now i am absolutely right so what's interesting about this record is um machine produced this record um at this point he put out 
He followed this up, I believe, actually. They were recording the same year or released the same year or whatever. But he followed this up with Lamb of God's Sacrament record. He had just done the Big Dirty, or not the Big Dirty, I'm sorry. He had just done, uh, God, what the fuck is that every time I die record he did? Uh, Gutter Phenomenon. He had just done Gutter Phenomenon. Uh, he had worked with Boys Night Out. Um, you know, so it's one of those where he kind of, as a producer, was like right in that sweet spot of like grabbing all these bands. Because uh, I believe at this point, this is the only record that 18 Visions put on on Epic. Also, the Lamb of God record was on Epic as well. So I don't know if he worked in-house for Epic as like their producer or whatever. But this is like the sweet spot where Machine was like doing every fucking record uh, as like everyone's first like big boy kind of record with good production, a budget and all that kind of stuff. You know, even doing a Demon Hunter record uh, a year later. Um, Haste the Day, Pressure of the Hinges. You know, he mixed that, uh, so on and so forth, Armor for Sleep. So, I mean, he's kind of in this realm where he's doing metal stuff or offshoots of metal, but bringing really nice, slick production to it. And to me, like listening to this record, like Dan said, I think there's fucking great songs on this record all the way through. Um, to me, like I said on the last one, I think this is the first iteration of what we would kind of see 18 Visions being without uh, Brandon writing. This is them doubling down and kind of really going into a little bit more of the gothic-y kind of stuff with like the opening track of Our Darkest Days. Um, Dan said, uh, what is it? Burned, Al- Burned Us Alive was like, try to forget that song. Fuck yeah. that. Try to forget the sweetest memory. That is a well, fucking yeah. hit. That is a hit. I don't give a fuck what genre of music you're writing for. That is a fucking hit. Um, and that was the thing that was interesting about this record is I feel like they pushed and challenged themselves to write better songs, actual songs, start to finish, verse, chorus, pre-chorus, even whatever. Like it's a more traditional structured 18 visions. And to me, if you liked Obsession and you weren't quite satisfied with where that was going, like, oh, the parts aren't quite all there. This is that figured out fully. And to me, as someone who likes all iterations of this band, I, I really do like this record because as I've you know made a comment to former guest on the show, Dewey help us because he's always like, you don't like like really unclean or like dirty <laughs> shit. My thing is like I grew up in the 80s. So my pop music, like my Motley Cruz, even going to like Metallica, the Black Album, all of my heavy things were popular music. They sounded good. They had good production, rap, pop music, R&B. Everything had a sheen to it that didn't exist and to me that's why i think i always will gravitate toward anything that has that because what's better than a fucking really disgusting riff with a fucking clean chorus right after it i mean that's why we like story of the year that's why we like refused that's why we like all these fucking bands that's why metallica's black album still outsells almost everything what 30 years after it fucking came out it's always still in the top 200 absolutely acdc's black and black i mean shit on all you want but i mean it's like it sounds better than almost anything they had done at the time and that's the thing i think people really do give a shit about production whether they realize it or not and that's why i always find it amusing that people are like i fucking hate this record it sucks this is when the band you know sucked and was the worst to me fuck it give me this i kind of wish there would have been one more after it and to be like okay well we have gotten like a black parade out of you motherfuckers where you went full concept album with this shit because that would have been interesting. I agree. I, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't another one in this vein. Because, uh, I mean, that was pretty much it. I mean, I think that they thought that this record was going to take them into the stratosphere, you know, as far as as far as popularity goes. And it just didn't. 
for whatever reason, people wanted the more emo stuff. People wanted the more um, metalcore stuff. And the odd and, thing is, though, is this did debut in the top hundred. It was like the highest charting record they had had at the time. So by actual sales volume, it did do what it was supposed to do, quote unquote. I don't think that it did because whenever I was looking up, uh, when I was looking up sale like sales figures for the record, um, I want to say it it was pretty disappointing for the band and the label. Did over a hundred thousand copies, peaked at seventy four. I think the last, I think Obsession was at one fourteen. So I mean, you're seeing. I guess a, a in comparison, up. I guess in comparison to what they were doing before, yes. Um, but I don't know. I I want to say Obsession did better, didn't it? No. I just was looking at that obsession peaked at 114 on okay. the on the charts. Uh, let me just double check. Um, peaked at 147. I'm sorry. Peaked at 147 on the top 200. Visions debuted at 74. I was so, under I mean, the impression almost that double. You're seeing almost double the chart thing, and that's that's the weird thing I think about this band is for for everyone who goes, you know, Dan and I and Joe sometimes too, but like Dan and I will talk a lot of times about the perception versus reality with some of these things. So. The perception is people hopped off on Inception and definitely didn't like this fucking record. Now, trajectory of album sales shows that actually they doubled their their, I guess, mainstream acceptability or whatever. But it turned into basically the band not sticking around much longer because I guess maybe people weren't attending the show. So it's like, how do you have a better charting success while your album or not album sales, but your your live draw? is maybe waning like that's that's such a, a oh. weird cross-section of things like you don't see that very often with a lot of bands i don't think i was under the, i was under the impression that uh we're not gonna get into that again uh i was on <laughs> i was under the impression that uh that obsession sold about 200k records i think obsession that, also was re-released though and so it's self-titled be- but then self-titled i I want to say they've never actually given an actual figure you can look it up all you want but there is no actual figure for how much this record sold, but I believe it was like under 100K. It says the album has sold over 200,000 copies in the US, but here's a here's a trick I've learned, uh, and Trust Kill and uh, Victory were no strangers to this to help boost sales. Uh, so I learned a long time ago that if you re-release something or had like uh, like those compilations or a DVD or something else and basically having two, two discs in they would one count package. That as an album sale. That's two technical sales, even though it's in one package and even if the other album isn't anything. Um, so that's a trick that I know Victory and Trustkill usually did to kind of help boost numbers. That's why almost every re-release of something you saw had a compilation, had Has something a sampler in it. DVD with it. Yeah. So that way you would be able to boost those numbers. So while it does say that Obsession had 200,000 copies sold and that is double, I do know that there were copies of Obsession that came with the DVD and came with some other things. So I'm wondering if that's how they kind of flubbed the numbers to be almost two times the amount of uh, 18 Visions uh, self we'll to get We'll have to get James on the podcast to clear that up for us sometime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I know this is like super nerdy inside baseball kind of, or behind baseball, whatever uh, shit. But like this is the kind of stuff that I think makes sometimes these things interesting to talk about, especially during very weird transitional period between a lot of fans i think of this band specifically where like dan said like when i you know was able to hop on because i'm not working a night at a bar uh when they typically record and i was like oh dude i love this record he goes oh thank god because i'm not gonna be the only one that's like i love this record right yeah yep absolutely like i know this is a very divisive record as was the last two really but to me for this iteration of the band this is the pinnacle of basically this style that 18 Visions was doing, and I'm here for it. I, like I said, I wish there was more. Maybe there is somewhere. 
We'll never know because all we know is that the band broke up in 2007 and they didn't do anything for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> but boy, I'm just going to keep you guys in suspense here. 2017, 18, because we can self-title an album twice now. Okay. Well, it's not self-titled. I mean, it's just, well, yeah, I guess it kind of is. Damn it, 18 Visions. Always throwing me for a loop. Uh, this didn't sound anything like I thought it was going to sound. Uh, <laughs> although I, although I got to admit, I, I didn't, I guess like if I had really been thinking about it objectively, I wouldn't have been like, they're not going to do the self-titled part two, you know? Uh, obviously, I think that maybe record sales or something had to do with the them disappearing in the first place in 2007. So with 18, I kind of knew we were going to go back. I would say as far as the way this record sounds, it sounds like a record that would have been recorded between uh, Vanity and Obsession. It's that sweet spot. But, but do not let that deter you because this is still the same band that wrote the self-titled. So like their chorus game is completely on point. But you also still get a lot of that metalcore stuff uh, that, that, that maybe you were a fan of back in the day. So, like, if you didn't listen to Obsession and you didn't listen to 18 Visions, uh, you're going to want to show up for this one. Uh, this is where the breakdowns come in. Laid to waste in the shit of man. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. That breakdown, that's good stuff. That's like eating a fine steak after you haven't had one in 10 years. This was fantastic. I probably heard this album at the time and dismissed it because it sounds like everything else that came out in 2017. But in the hindsight of this band's discography and because I was in such a good mood after listening to 18 Visions, I just let it go because it was so drastically different. And most of that is just the production and the tempo of the songs. I think the root of this band is still the same, just played at a different pace. So now you have that modern metal sound, which very much came from the early 2010s metalcore but has the chorus game of the 80s metal bands so when you throw all that together and you give it to 18 visions they're still going to do that and it still works so they didn't pick up where they left off it sounds to me like they continued and isn't that what you really wanted them to do anyway i think they went back to the well and dug real 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 deep you know and and they went with a sound that i think probably was their most successful this would be the sound that everybody would want 18 Visions to return to, I think. Uh, I think with a lot of these band reunions after 10 years, they try to try to strike some sort of delicate balance where it's like, you can't go back to our really old stuff where we didn't know what we were doing, <laughs> you know? But uh, to, to hit that middle ground like they did on this record, uh, I, think, uh, I, think they, I think they nailed it. I think this was one of the most enjoyable records to listen to. Uh, especially at the end of just uh, at the end of the discography, uh, I think that they absolutely killed it on this record. And now the cover songs that I didn't even know about the Them Bones cover until you guys told me about it before we started recording. Uh, and I've listened to it and I love it. And I can't be more excited for the next stuff that they come out with. You're welcome, by the way. So, sorry. Let me turn off my 18 Visions that's playing right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember like them announcing because you know I, i've been following james for a while on, on instagram and there was like pictures of him like recording something and you're just kind of like fuck are you recording because he, he was in another band for a little bit uh outside of 18 visions and it was even more just straight ahead rock 
Um, which is funny because most of the people in that band, like one of the dudes is actually a double driver and I forget one of the other dudes is in another band too. But um, it's just kind of funny because you're like, what the fuck are you recording? And then all of a sudden, 18 Visions now has an Instagram and you're like, huh. So it became one of those things where the writing was obviously on the wall that 18 Visions was coming back. But in what capacity? Because at this point, um, their bassist Mick had passed away. So you're kind of like, all right, like what era the band is coming back who all's involved because at this point uh their drummer slash guitar player ken is now tour managing for zed which if you don't know who that is he's a huge giant like pop uh edm kind of artist um so no need to go back to a, a hardcore band to make your money <laughs> uh james has absolutely had absolutely success- not james has had a very successful career uh you know being a hairstylist and like everyone had found different avenues to make money and, and have careers and so forth and you know when 18 Vinches comes back it's like what era are you getting are you going to get like the first couple records or are you going to get like the last three and you know this is the era for me where I stopped listening to like singles leading up to a record because I didn't want to get excited about a record and then be like oh what the fuck is this this isn't what I thought because I've been burned by that uh looking at you uh fucking whatever that record is of Deftones I can't fucking remember because I hate it oh Prayers and Triangles or whatever the hell that one was um still not a fan of that but um it was a thing where you put it in and you hear Crucified and there is no doubt what you know you're gonna get that the heavy is back um you know like Dan said I think the first like quarter of the record is just fucking straight ass beaters it's fucking low like God damn, it's just so fucking good. But then, like Dan said, you get laid to waste in the shit of man, you get oath, like, and then you kind of got a little bit more of that, like, vanity obsession era, uh, 18 Visions, but done, I think, with a, a production that matches and is able to combine literally both eras of the band on one record and not have it sound disjointed or weird. Um, this was a, a phenomenal comeback record. Um, I know we're probably not going to talk about the EP the band just put out. Uh, that is okay. That is equally like just fucking this good. Um, but I love the fact that this is a band that I think has nothing to prove to anybody. They make music when they want to. They make the kind of music they want to. And like right now, like I wouldn't be surprised if another EP or something was about to come out. I have no idea if anything is. Um, I've not asked James. I have no ties to any of that shit. But I do love the fact that, you know, like they just released a cover of 18 Visions uh, DTO, uh, I think about two weeks ago as we're recording. The Allison Chains cover of Them Bones just came out uh, about three weeks ago. And uh, as of, I think, a week ago, they just released a brand new song called 1996, um, which is really fucking good. It's the first original brand new song that they put out since uh, the EP that they put out that we're not talking about. But all right, it's called Inferno. It came out in 2020. It's super, super heavy. It's, it's really super good. brutal. I, I, I like it. You should listen to it, too. Yeah, um, but it's one of those like to me, I think I love the fact that we're able to basically get both iterations of the band in a very concise way where it pays homage to whatever area you're into, but it, it sounds updated and new. And I'll definitely say having gotten to see the band since they reformed, uh, you're getting a lot more of the older stuff uh, and the new and the new album versus, you know, Obsession. Like, you're still going to get Tower of Snakes, but you're basically getting an all ass beaters, like really lean and mean set when you go see oh, this yeah. band. So if you thought all I'm going to get is the self-titled Vanity and Obsession and, you know, sing along choruses and stuff. Not really. You're just getting straight pummeled for about an hour and it is glorious. Um, the band still has got it. 
And uh, speaking of Evergreen Terrace, uh, they have Josh James, who is in Stick to Your Guns now uh, as their other guitar player. So nice, really kind of full circle for everything we've been talking about tonight. Final thoughts on 18 Visions. Dan. 18 Visions is a band that did not get enough credit, man, for some of the stuff that they did. They should have been one of the biggest bands in the world, I think. Uh, they certainly earned it, and uh, they they were they took risks where other bands didn't take risks. It was almost like other bands saw what 18 Visions was doing, said, ooh, I'm not going to do that. Well, let's see how they do. Uh, 18 Visions is moderately successful, so then they go, okay, well, what they did was safe. We're going to go ahead and jump on and do it ourselves. So I think that 18 Visions is definitely an innovative band. They play a lot of different styles of music. And while one could accuse them is... Uh, could accuse them of, of just changing style every time they thought they were doing something that was more popular. Uh, that's just not accurate at all. I think that they were being true to themselves, and I think everybody else was there to sort out the pieces. Uh, so check them out, man. Uh, 18 Visions, they've got something for everybody. They're heavy, they're catchy, they're melodic, and just weird. Just plain weird in places. John, what about you? I think 18 Visions' legacy and impact on a multitude of scenes can't be understated. Uh, I think they were at the forefront of a lot of things. I don't think they get a lot of the credit they really deserve. And I think, like Dan said, I think the hard part about this band is their discography is so divisive right down the middle, whether you like kind of the more rock-leaning stuff or you like more of the uh, traditional hardcore-style sounds that they had. There's something for everybody. And I think you're going to realize in listening to the full discography this band deserves a lot more credit than they really got and you're going to realize how much they influence probably a lot of your favorite bands in either scene and i think it uh just can't be understated enough how great this fucking band is and has always been do you remember the tropes that all the bands did in the early 2000s now add the tropes that were happening five years before that and five years after that i want you to put yourself back in the early 2000s and Tell me if you were in for everything that was going on, hardcore, metalcore, emo, pop punk, just throw it all together. Now, 18 Visions, they did the hardcore thing. They very much did the metalcore thing. But when we get to the emo phase, they kind of did a loop around that and just were heavy and melodic and paid attention to good songwriting. And even though along the way they did the 15-second riffs thing, they eventually decided that they wanted to go full hard rock at a time when everybody wanted them to just be metalcore and be emo. And even now in 2021, where they put an album out three years ago and an EP last year, it sounds like the band is back and they're adapting to their surroundings once again. So it's really hard for me to listen to 18 Visions and not recommend the band because even though they do the tropes, they don't embrace the tropes and they're conscious enough to do their own thing in spite of the similarities to some of their peers. I agree with John. I don't think this band gets enough credit and this podcast is going to start giving them more credit after today. So everybody listen to 18 Visions. Dan, what's your album of the week? Well, I want to interject real quick um, about the whole tropes comment. Were they tropes when 18, Vision was do when 18 Visions was doing them? Not at the time. Every hardcore, metalcore, emo trope that happened along the way, absolutely, they were tropes. 
That's how right, bad but- mainstream metalcore and emo got, where it was so tropey that it just did not sound interesting most of the time. So you're talking about the tropes that existed after 18 Visions. I think 18 I- Visions was there along the way, but they did not embrace them. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Well, cool. Um, album of the week, right? Uh, Women and you're Children Die right. First. Women and Children Die First by Remembering Never. Uh, I get on a kick for that record every now and again. Another really good 2004 metalcore release. They're going to be on Furnace Fest. Well, they're playing a pre-show at Furnace Fest uh, with uh, Norma Jean, actually. Is it just called like Stoking the Fires for the Furnace? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. I think it's called The Bellows. Mm. Well, then there's Zayo and Shai Halud are playing a show, too, at the same night. Rory B. Bellows. John, what about you? Um... Speaking of kind of innovating and just kind of doing whatever the fuck they want, the only thing I've been listening to since this EP came out uh, about a week ago, as of when we're recording, is Turnstiles, Turnstile Love Connection. It's only four songs, but holy shit is this. That is so good. It is so Uh fucking good. And do yourself a favor. If the music's not enough to keep you just listening to those four songs on repeat, go and watch the visual, like where they literally did an 11-minute video of the whole EP. And it tells a story that if you are paying attention, you're going to pick up on. But like, this is a band that you if you were not aware of, even on their last album, you need to be listening and paying attention to Turnstile right the fuck now, because they are about to be everywhere. I sense a forthcoming Patreon review. It'll be longer than the record because I'm going to gush all over the motherfucker. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Well, I decided that my album of the week was Rat Out of the Cellar probably in the middle of this episode because I just had fun listening to Rat this week. Who doesn't like some seriously good 80s metal? Produced at one of the most legendary studios of all time. You are damn right, sir. Take us out, DFT. Well, if you guys have been checking this podcast out, whether you've been watching it on YouTube or uh, you've been listening on your favorite podcast listening platform, uh, and you've ever wanted to have a little bit more of an idea or a little bit more of a say in what bands we talk about, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You can reach out to us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can tweet at us uh, at Discuss Metal or at me at Discuss Metal Dan or Joe at Discuss Metal Joe. Uh, you can join our Discord server. We have a link in our show notes uh, that'll take you right to our Discord server where you can hang out with us and other fans of the show anytime you want. Uh, you can send us an email at show at gmail.com or you can follow us on Instagram uh, at Discuss Metal or at, under myself as Discuss Metal Dan. And, uh, you know, th- so, yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can reach out to us. Uh, if you want to tell us we're doing a good job, leave us a review. Um, if you want to buy some sweet discography discussion merch, we have a Teespring store where they make merch on demand with our logo on it. So if you want to click on that link in the show notes, you can get yourself a sweet discography discussion sleeveless shirt. For Furnace Fest, which is going to be extremely hot. Trust me, you're not going to want those sleeves. And on that note, this has been episode 230 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash Discuss Metal. We have some sweet perks. Look at all this money. $1 a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. 
Take it easy, guys. We will see you next time on Discography Discussion. Stay metal. Party on. Always stay metal. Stay metal.